I'm Lauren. And I'm Ashley. And this, guys, is Nip Tuck Pod. We are your girl chat. We say the things you want to hear, the things that you're thinking but you don't want to say out loud. And we're all about being strong, aspirational women who basically don't give a... Uh, Lauren, anyway, if you want unfiltered chat, amazing beauty and product recommendations, then look no further, guys. This is the podcast where you will get all of the girly chat. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Francis, we recorded this podcast on a Monday morning. Do you know uh, this next guest? Uh, uh, you know, we, we hung out a bit up in Edinburgh. <laughs> Sweet man. Sorry, Edinburgh Fringe, you wouldn't... You're trying to make me jealous, is that what you're trying to do? You're trying to make me jealous that you, you have other friends, apart from me? Well, just, you know, when we were both comedians up at the Fringe. It was like, but you, you, I, I don't know what you're trying to do. You're trying to say that you... you were... I'm just trying to say, look, I like Joe. Yeah, I like Joe Sutherland. too. Joe warmed me more. He warms your cockles. <laughs> he doesn't warm my cockles. I, 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 Joe... Does he not? He warms my cockles. Okay, fine, he warms mine as well, if you really want to know. I reckon. I reckon if we ask Joe, not I. Lo- I love Joe. So do I. I'm not. I'm not. I, of course, I love Joe. But I'm. I'm just. Do you love him? I, I, don't, I don't. I don't know him enough to love him. I like Joe a lot. I like. I think Joe's a good dude. I think he's a. Well, I love him. Okay. Well, so do I. There you go. So do I. I don't know if I if I didn't love him. I don't know if you'd love him. Well, listen. All I'm just trying to tell you is that I reckon if we asked Joe truthfully who he liked more, he would say me. Really? Yeah. Probably, actually. You're probably right. I'm, I'm not everyone's cup of tea. I, I appreciate you, you, Hey, hey, what? Hey, buddy. Hey, no, listen. Don't, no, no, don't put yourself down like that. The difference between you and me. What? The difference between you and me, James. Well, you don't give a shit. Because I don't try to be everyone's cup of tea. Hey, n- I don't try to be everyone's <laughs> cup of tea. Nor do I. Nor do I. I don't try yeah. and be everyone's cup of tea. Don't you? you? You're always trying to get in everyone's mugs and say, can I be your cup of tea? I, even if I, if I was a tea, I would be a Lapsang Sushang. That's what I. I think you'd be uh, a um, Lipton's sweetened 
iced tea. <laughs> why, why the hell would I be a Lipton sweetened iced tea? Because uh, you are bad for everyone. <laughs> what, it's full of sugar? Perfect. Wouldn't you um, like to hang out more with Joe Sutherland? Yeah, or? I like Joe a lot. He's a, he's a good guy. Joe, he's, a, he's a comedian. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He's a stand-up comedian. <laughs> yeah, he said that. He, he's an actor. Yeah, yeah. He's a writer. Yep. He's an influencer. Yeah. You know, and in fact, there's nothing he won't think about doing, you know. Are you reading this off an internet? Is that what you're doing? You're, re- you're reading this no. off something, aren't you? I can tell. I'm not. I'm just reading it to you. T- telling it to you. <laughs> there you go. This is the you are, all over the UK. You are reading this. Uh, off. Internationally. And sometimes on the internet. You're reading this off his website. No. <laughs> yes, you are. Do you know he was in EastEnders? No, I didn't know that. How do you know that? Because we're very close. <laughs> Hey. Anyway, of... ladies and gentlemen, you no, know him. No, we're not. We're not. We're not going in yet. You know him <laughs> as Joe Sutherland, and we know him as what? I know him as uh, Joey. <laughs> hey, before we go into the podcast, just remember to follow us on Instagram at Private Podcast and send us some emails or comment below. Contact at privatepartspodcast dot com, Francis, because you want to get into this podcast. I know you. It's a good and here we ladies go, ladies and from... gentlemen. Oh, Joe Sutherland. just fetching a yoga block to put under the the macbook what do you mean you're fetching a yoga block it's it's this for the stand under the macbook so yeah it's, it's like... quite it's it's quite la to use a yoga block as a standing desk <laughs> <laughs> do you do joe do you do yoga um no. <laughs> <laughs> no but you have a yoga standing block <laughs> i have a yoga standing block my uh, boyfriend's sister has been has been training to be a yoga teacher so i was one of her guinea pig lockdown zoom students ah so what so what was your favorite pose um lying on your back with your legs straight up the wall like that's 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 my back and and these are my legs i'm a sort of letter the human l, l. yeah I found with yoga that it was the most like frustrating thing because if you're not flexible, if you're not flexible, it's one of the worst things to do because you have no, to. No, if you're if you're not flexible, you should be doing more yoga. Yeah, but it, but also it's one of those things you have to like train yourself into. I'm not good at training myself into something. Learning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good at learning things. <laughs> Joe, did you did you find anything that you did you did you create did you learn a language or did you do piano or did you do anything during lockdown? Um, I mean, I did have a bread phase to my shame, but it was not sourdough. Banana bread? No, I went for traditional baguettes. Um, ah, yeah, what? Very... you made a baguette. I made you made a baguette. I'd make three at a time, so I could put them between my fingers like big chewy Wolverine claws. Ah. <laughs> Wait. Also, oh, how do you make a baguette? That's like out of all the breads, that's quite a hard thing to make. How, run me through the process of making a baguette. Okay, I don't know if you're familiar with the Bible, but the earliest <laughs> written recipe for food <laughs> is basically <laughs> bread, water, yeast, salt. Bam, 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 bam. And then with normal bread, you'd be like in a tin. Baguette, you just go, you know, stretch. <laughs> Two fists, stretch. <laughs> but also, out of all the breads you could have made, I don't understand why the baguette... Because the baguette's delicious. Have you it, ever had one? Yeah, but a baguette... Like, okay, I, I've had a baguette, yeah, but, but I would say that the baguette is like the roguest 
bread. I would say like you could make a sourdough. You could make like something else. Making a baguette is like a rogue one, no? Uh, yeah, no. I get, but but that was the point. Sourdough had all sourdough had become basic like week two of lockdown, and I knew I needed a curveball just to make so everyone you jealous. With the baguette, yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, a baguette is—it may sound simple, but it's actually very hard to perfect a baguette. When, when, when have you ever made a baguette? Well, I've tried, and it wasn't it wasn't easy. <laughs> when have you tried to make a baguette? There is no, no time I, that you woke up and no, I no because make a I went through a phase where I was trying to make French pastries and and things like that, and uh, I I tried to make a croissant, which is like basically folding butter <laughs> into um, dough, is, like into this sort of filo uh, pastry thing. Is that right, Joe? Is that what happens? Is that how you make a croissant? <laughs> I suppose so, I, but I thought you were, I thought you were going to go in with just pure description of a croissant. Like, I don't know if you two simpletons have heard of a country called France. They actually sell them over here. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to Private Parts Podcast. This is where we read the most intimate sort of details of our lives on the podcast today. Joe Sutherland! Hey, Woo-hoo! hey, Woo-hoo! hey. Woo-hoo! Hey Joe, how have you been, buddy? Everything good? Everything well? Yeah, grand. You know, I'm just uh, just decided to have a sort of six month break uh, for my mental oh, health. Yeah. It's been going really well. <laughs> Do you know I did actually too? In in in, in it's, I felt quite bad about it, but um, in probably February or end of February, I just thought, you know what. I'm going to take a break from stand-up for a while. Yeah, is it like self-care? It was such a trend. I thought... Yeah. No, but I, 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 then there was a pandemic. I didn't even realise. Like, it was actually... Co- it, it was a coincidence. But... Joe, <laughs> because so, it's, it's tough right at the moment because, you know, you, you as a stand-up comedian, you can't do anything. You can't go on tour. You can't go and gig, really. Um, I can make baguettes. Uh, <laughs> you can make baguettes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just creating content every day, <laughs> making baguettes. Here I go. Uh, but it's true, though, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a change, obviously. Um, uh, but I guess I think everyone who does comedy should take a break every few years, anyway. And that was always something that I would say. I'd be like, oh, everyone should take a break, like once every three years. Never did it myself. Never practiced it until this year. <laughs> um, Is that so that you so that you sort of miss it? Yeah. So you experience the, the actual world for a moment and like yeah. remember that like there's, there are more pressing problems than how to, you know, top a joke and wrap up a yeah. type five. Um, yeah. because, because that because that's true though, right? I think that when you when you do comedy for so long, and that's an interesting thing to say, but you you get so doing anything for so long, but comedy especially because every single thing that you're doing, every kind of uh, conversation you're having, everything's content, right? So it's quite mm. hard to kind of live. France is just smiling as I say this, as I'm trying to explain. So comedy. did you burn out of your comedy career, Jamie? <laughs> yeah, do you miss it, Jamie? Is it really sad for you? <laughs> We do have to mention, Joe, that me and you did uh, the comedy roast battle together, not against each other, but we did it. We did it no, together. And, lucky for and you, ju- not together. <laughs> no, no, thank God. <laughs> I think you would have really gone to town. <laughs> Joe, honestly, to to all of our listeners and to you, friends, Joe was for me. You were the funniest person of the evening. You were exceptional. Oh, it was shut awful. up. Shut up. You, you said that to Ivor as well. <laughs> no, <I didn't. laughs> and Sophie. And 
Jimmy Carr. I'm Catherine Ryan. I'm Big Nasty. <laughs> but you you were against Sophie as well your your friend Sophie and uh and you you made you, you made the funniest joke <laughs> are we allowed to say it I think we are I think can you explain the joke I, I thought it was genius I don't know that I want to repeat anything out of context it all feels so cool <laughs> Um, it does, yeah, yeah, I know. But honestly, Joe, you were you were genius. But for someone, because also when I did, and I spoke about this on the podcast before, when I went into the comedy roast battle, I was just like, well, I'm just going to sort of turn up and I'm going to say a one line a joke, and that's going to be it. And then suddenly I was watching yours, and there's a whole narrative to it. There's a whole <laughs> like lead into it. It's not one liners. I was like, I'm fucked. This is going to be the worst. Well, I think the reason they put us together is they knew that um, a we're really close friends. Uh, and you know and like we live around the corner from each other B that we do have this backstory which is that she's actually known my boyfriend for something like 12 years um, and she joined yeah they were at university together and she joined like Mm. an improv troupe because she had a crush on this blonde haired blue eyed guy in the year above (laughs) and um, but then literally the week that she joined he stopped going to rehearsals (laughs) so (laughs) she's just constantly sort of pursuing and trying to angle for at least a friendship or something and he was kind of like (laughs) slowly backing away who's this person trying to follow me everything I'm trying to do well I'm just in an improv group now (laughs) (laughs) I guess I'll have a comedy career go on maybe he'll know it's me then. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the comedy roast battle, to all the listeners who don't know, it's where you basically stand up against each other and you roast each other, you make fun of each other. Um, but it's one of those things that is so hard to, as a comedian, right? Not as, as comedians. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As a comedian, it is. But it is, it's one of those things that's really hard to, to plan, right? Because you can't kind of go and test your jokes out doing open mic can you no other I do feel really bad I had a gig like two nights before we did that recording where I'd done my set and then it was really sweet it's this really great gig um in Bristol at uh, the Lazy Dog Pub so they'll have the gig but then after the gig they'll do a small open mic for sort of keen audience members who are <laughs> wasted to like you try just, things wait, out hang on, hang on so you like when someone says to someone like you go like, oh, oh, don't make me sing. Don't, don't make me play that musical instrument. I don't want to play it. But they're like, oh, get up. And so you just went up when you were hammered to do stand-up comedy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's basically that. And uh, But it, it is like everybody's come prepped for it. Like it's it's not like they're asking absolute randoms. Like you, okay. it, there is an element of that. Like, no, don't make me do my jokes that I brought in my notebook three hours ago. <laughs> Um, (laughs) but so but so what I did was I snuck into that um, and because Sophie was going to be the headliner of the next week's gig so they had posters of her so this is really evil the promoter of the gig held up her poster as I read out my jokes at the poster (laughs) but then it just felt insanely cruel to be like saying these things about someone who's not in the room to defend themselves So my hope is that nobody was fo- was recording that. I did try and have a social media ban on that moment. Did, did, but did, did any of the ones that work uh, you not end up using because you thought they were too, too mean or, or did you just use the... There, there was one I cut, yeah. 
Um, can you tell us now? You can't? Well, can you tell us? it wasn't really at her expense. It was very much at my boyfriend's <laughs> expense. Um, oh God! Oh, no, I can't even. I can't remember it in full, but I can remember it was something to do with. Okay, the word smashing was a key uh, component. Um, oh, I, it was. It was something like she's jealous that. Oh God! It was. Oh, I, I feel disgusting saying this. Just. For anyone listening, it's ten thirty in the morning, and I, I'm really jealous that he he's not smashing her. No, but she's smashing her comedy career. It's something like that. It was something like that. But his ass is the one getting smashed. That was. I love, I love it that you're you're too timid because you're just like it's ten thirty in the morning on a Monday. I just don't think I could bring myself to explaining what I was trying to say about my boyfriend. Yeah, but it's hard. One of those things. It's hard though because as a comedian, right, going on to state, like, like obviously, you, you, the best thing about comedy, right, is that for, for me, is that you get that instant feedback. So from the audience, you know straight away what's funny and what's not funny and things like that. Coming as a as a comedian, <laughs> keep referring to myself as this comedian. <laughs> yeah, you do but, know straight away what's not funny. Yeah, yeah, every yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and I, I worked that out very quickly in my very small and short comedy career. <laughs> very, very quickly. Well, I said this to Francis, but wow, when they talk about losing the room, you can really notice it when the room goes, whoo, it's bad. But what's interesting is that you get that instant feedback. With, but with, you know, doing something like the stand-up, uh, the roast battle, it, it's, it's like this weird thing where it's, it is stand-up comedy, but it's like, it's like sort of one-liners and it's not, you're not, there's no sort of real narrative. You're just kind of just roasting each other. And also being British, it's quite <laughs> a weird thing to be, be rude to someone like that. We're not very good at doing that, I feel. What do you think? Or, or, or no, do you feel like you are good at doing that? Um, I do think, so. when I started comedy, I uh, felt like, you know, you're doing these awful open mic gigs. You're waiting around in the back of a pub for three hours to do your five minute slot. But it's in that waiting around at the back that you sort of start to suss out like who might be your new soulmates. Because you're all going out, you know, on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesday nights doing this insane thing. And your friends are sick of hearing about it. So you need new friends. And you kind of suddenly forge these really deep relationships with people you would never otherwise cross paths with. Um, you know, you can, you can meet people and you're just like, we've got entirely different backgrounds. Like we come from so many different cultures, but we're all united by this mental illness, which means that we need to go out and like waste our evenings and make all these like social sacrifices. Um, <laughs> and so that forges quite a deep connection and, you, and you're putting yourself up on stage and being like really really vulnerable um and then i so i think a sort of an element of those friendships that is forged is is like that kind of roasting and ribbing like even in the closest friendships i've made with people in comedy we're still like utterly vicious to each other in a way that 100 yeah, yeah, yeah. says i love and respect you Therefore, I know it's safe to show you my vulnerabilities and I'm going to poke out that I can really see yours. It sounds horrendous, but I think it is it, a thing. It, and also what, what's so true is that it, it, you're so right with that like comedy circuit is that because I, I, what I find so like like 
baffling and so kind of like credible that you that there's a moment that you kind of go, I am going to become a stand-up comedian. We we all go to like we all go to school. We go to university. If we go to university, all those kind of stuff. And we we all learn to like go and get a job and do this and and that. But then there's a point where you suddenly go, I'm going to go completely solo, basically go freelance myself and become a stand-up comedian. And you have to do. And when you start, you have to do all these open mic nights. It, it's like this. This it's like basically becoming a singer. When was that moment for you that you were literally like, I'm going to become a stand-up comedian? Um, I think I'd run out of other options <laughs> and was like, well, I guess this, this, the only things left is pure humiliation five nights a week. Because um, it, it is, it's one of them. It's when you start and I, who was it? Someone said to me, I think it was like, I, maybe it was Ivor Graham. He said, I think it takes about 10 years to really get good at comedy after you like you he said it takes 10 years to really become good and it's like at the beginning when you first start everyone is shit <laughs> you don't know you don't know what you're doing i when i first went on stage i was like i i thought i killed it and i rewatched it back and realized that i was absolutely shocking and the only reason why people were laughing is i think they felt bad for me but did you have that so when was that moment you were like hey, here we go i'm gonna go and do this uh i guess i was 24 years old um and it was uh yeah so i had gone to university but i'd done a re- ridiculous degree that i'm sure does not what exist anymore it was what like fine art video and four-dimensional Craft. <laughs> what? What was the four-dimensional? What was the degree? Um, so the medium we used was time. <laughs> no, you know why? You know why I did it? It's because That's a bullshit degree. It's so bullshit. What? But the reason it's I did so it, bullshit. in my defence, growing up as a kid in Coventry and admiring all these like super cool pop stars, the reason I did it was because it was the same degree that uh, Jarvis Cocker and MIA had both done. Oh. And so I was like, St Martin's. What, what, were you at? Uh, oh no, Goldsmiths. No, UAL, University of Arts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So St Martin's and Wimbledon College of Art. <laughs> Was it? Yeah. <laughs> I love it that your degree was was called Time. <laughs> it was called Time-Based Media, yeah. What? Do you remember what it's like being in your 20s? I sometimes look back at that period of my life and laugh just as much as I cringe. If you do the same, then you've got to watch Queenie, the new original series on Hulu. Who is Queenie? Queenie is a 20-something-year-old living in London. She's facing all the firsts. First major heartbreak, first shitty apartment and soul-sucking job, first therapy session to work through those mommy issues. Can she turn her quarter-life crisis into a revolution? Maybe. Will she make some questionable decisions along the way? Definitely. All episodes of Queenie premiere June 7th, streaming on Hulu. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> My one was even worse. I went to Leeds to do theatre and performance, and I thought it was going to be all acting, and I turned off and it was, it was all written work. <laughs> Everything was written work, and I honestly was like, this is fucking bullshit. And also, <laughs> and also what I don't get, I don't get, like, the first year of university is basically where... You, you don't get graded on anything. You don't do anything. And it's basically just like fitting in. That's the first year of university. There is, you, could, there is, you could fit the whole degree into one year if you really went for it, I feel. Well, especially with mine. Yeah, I only really... I, I, I worked my ass off in the third year. Uh, but the Did other you? two, yeah, the game was fitting in and you, dropping out. Because <laughs> you, you, you were literally like, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian, so I really need to work real hard and get this degree. Well, I don't know what <laughs> I thought I was going to do. I just sort of like, because I guess I'd been admiring all these people who in the 90s could come from like a slightly yeah. more like, you know, normal or average, like lower income background, but they could go to some wanky art school and turn themselves into like a pop star or artist or something. And I was like, oh, that's going to be really easy. I'll just go and do that. Then I kid you not, a week into my degree, financial crash happens. Yeah. And the and the university are straight away like, right, everybody's losing half of their studio space, half of their time with tutors. Like, yeah, you've got to start doing like essays and like this isn't why I came here. I just wanted to be famous. Oh, also, going to university, you're like, my backstory is going to be great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy from Coventry, done good. <laughs> this, is, this is what it's going to be. I know, I was such a wanker. Um, <laughs> also, I, I can imagine at, at like, uh, Central, at, at St. Martin's, I reckon, like, everyone was a little bit, not everyone at all, but there were a lot of people who would have been, like, quite kind of like, this is what I, you know, this is what I feel and this is what I do. And it was kind of like about, so you would have these weird, like, like, you would get these weird ideas, this is how you have to behave and this is what you want to achieve. And, and oh, we're going to become artists and things like that. And, and then what happens is, is I think the same as me when I was at university, you know, I had this whole like vision. I was like, well, I'm going to become an actor. This is what I'm going to do. And then you go into the world and you suddenly go like, well, it, I, I never, ever actually wanted to become an actor. And, and, <laughs> I just wanted to write. Yeah. I just want to write essays. <laughs> yeah, I just want to write essays. But, but so, Jay, you were 24 years old and you suddenly were like, hey, fine, I'm going to go and do stand-up comedy. Were you always the funny guy or were you kind of just like, no, this is what I think I want to do? Oh, I get, yeah, I was a horrific show off, I suppose. Um, And that was always my, like, in silly art school, like, my goal was always to make the funniest thing, whether it was a video or, like, it was just like, I'll sort of take the piss out of the idea of trying to make serious things. Um, And, but I'd I'd always, uh, my dad um, is from Scotland, and so I would... I was sort of sent up to Scotland for all of my summer holidays because I grew up um, Victorian. I <laughs> <laughs> Weirdly, so was I. I was sent to Scotland. I was sent to the Isle of Mull. Oh, I, was wow. sent to the Isle- I was sent to Mull every single holiday. I went to Mull. 
with my family. And I and like honestly, for I feel like for you, as you put it, it was like a punishment. Like, I felt like <laughs> it was like a punishment that I would go to Mull and I'd walk in like the hills, and that's what I would do. Yeah, it's a bit like a C.S. Lewis book, I suppose. Or I suppose I, the house that I imagine you were sent to was a bit like a C.S. Lewis book, and you were probably like crawling into every wardrobe, like find me some freedom. Um, <laughs> Whereas I was in the sort of the suburbs of Falkirk and then later St Andrews as my grandparents uh, retired. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so th- those were my beach holidays was like on the east coast of Scotland. <laughs> Going to Scotland. But, but it meant that I really always... lovely beaches. They have lovely beaches. Lovely beaches. Yeah, especially yeah, yeah, yeah. in Fife. You've just got to share them with the seals and uh, <laughs> don't touch the young because they won't be re-accepted. <laughs> It's your first lesson, but so you used to, so you so you 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 kind of were the show off, and you were kind of the one who always wanted to be centre of attention, and that kind of led you towards it. Yeah, and so just like these summer holidays in Scotland, it always meant that I'd get like a treat of a weekend uh, going and staying with my uncle and going to see things at the Fringe, Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it got to a point when I was about ten that my dad was just really bored of some of the stuff for kids and was like, maybe we should just uh, go to some fun adult things. And so we'd go to the sort of, you know, all the improv stuff, like the Chicago improv teams who, you know, I'm sure the people we were watching... Obsessed with improv. (laughs) I love anyone anyone who's improv. (laughs) Uh, But then then we'd also end up seeing, uh, and I I can't say this to their faces, but like, you know, people who I've since now met, like Ross Noble and Ed Byrne, like I'd end up, and Joe Brand, and what, like I'd end up watching them as a 10-year-old kid and being obsessed and being like, oh, let's go, like, let's go and see them. And of of course, their shows would be like late at night in 18 plus venues. So my dad, I kid you not, at least once um, would send my uncle around the corner to buy the tickets, then come back and collect us. And we'd walk in like sort of in the middle of the crowd and he'd keep me under his coat. Just like, yep, just just two adult men. No, no children here. <laughs> Two adult men looking like they're kidnapping a child. (laughs) (laughs) To go and sit in the back of the cabaret bar at the Pleasance Courtyard at 10 at night. But 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 Joe, what was it? Was it the what did you love about it? Did you did you love the humor? Was it like the fact that they were on stage? Was it what was it that you were kind of like? This is what I admire. It was just like you know you're used to adults being teachers and people who sort of follow all these rules and like pay the bills and learn to drive and do all this really boring stuff. But then like I think seeing it really young and realizing that like there are all these really naughty people. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, getting yeah. on stage and and being like insanely funny and silly, and and you can kind of say what you want. That's the great thing about comedy. You you can kind of be up on stage and we we kind of like told that we have to behave this way and do this and be like that and those kind of things. And actually, when you're on stage doing comedy, you can kind of just be totally. You can say what you want and make it funny and make it interesting and and have arguments and and opinions. And I think that's what's so great about comedy is that within reason you can get up on stage and pretty much say what you want to say and what you think, which I think is kind of really liberating. Uh, <laughs> is that totally wrong? Is it, that's, well, that's what I did. <laughs> no, I, th- I think that is the game. Is like, if you're going to make a point, make it funny, then we'll hear you out. Obviously, like anyone with... you, We would hope that like a level of 
human decency is at play as well. Yes. Like if someone's going to be absolutely like rousing, well, I guess I guess that's the thing. It's like it's probably very hard to incur anger and hate speech and make it funny <laughs> and conti- and also continue to do stand up right if people are if people are not yeah just go and be a president come on yeah exactly because because also like uh, i suppose it is a self policing thing uh, you know the, the, the audience decides if it's funny if it's not funny you're not going to be going for very long yeah but, but but also can i can i say like sometimes like sometimes stuff is funny and the, this is again from my own experience Sometimes the stuff is funny, and the audience doesn't find it funny. Like, like are you they're, talking they're, about your AIDS joke? No, no, no. I was not. <laughs> I was not talking about that. I said, <laughs> no, <laughs> what I what I worked out very quickly, Joe, is that I went on stage, and at the beginning, I made I made a joke about uh, taxi drivers being northern and coming from a white. No, you said you said you said he was working class. Yeah, <laughs> you're working class. I was just, that was it. And coming from white privileged posh situation, they straight away went, "Well, he's a dickhead." <laughs> so I was like, this is, and when you when they talk about losing the room from the beginning, I completely lost it and I tried to and what I did so stupidly is that instead of like trying to win them back I tried to get through my set as quickly as I could so I just spoke as fast as I could to try and get to the end of it and the whole oh my god the whole thing but but at the beginning of your stand-up career not that I'm having any career but when you started doing it you must have had those moments where you're like oh my god what am I doing on stage Oh, yeah, there were definitely a couple of occasions that was like a 10 minutes became three minutes very quickly. Um, but I don't know what it is. It's just some like blind optimism because maybe the f- if you're really lucky and the, the, in the first few times you do it, you get like a great response, even if it's just one huge laugh within a five minute yeah. uh, bit. Um, like that just like plants a, a seed of addiction. And you, do, you get this bug, don't you? Response. Get a, you get a bug, don't you? You get this weird bug that you just go. It, there's no, for some reason there's nothing quite like it where you're you're standing on stage and making uh, and making other people laugh. There's something like magical about it. Yeah, yeah. And I then I compare that to like eight years later, and it's like Jesus, that's really chasing a high. It's but. <laughs> And it's, it gets so much harder to, to get it back. <laughs> so it's like heroin. Where you just mm. you have it once, you're like, fuck, it was great back then. I'm going to try and find it again, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Joe, we've got to that moment in the podcast where, Francis, we need to have the question of the week. How much blood does it take to inflate a, a p- penis so it's erect? An average penis. An, an, an average penis. <laughs> yeah. How much blood? Okay, Joe, as our guest, you have to guess first. <laughs> I, I think I know in my head. I think I know what it is. How? I'm in milliliters. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going in pints. <laughs> I'm going in pints. That's what I'm no, going no, I'm, in. Uh, the answer is in milliliters. <laughs> I'm going in pints. That's All right, like, well, I'll have to convert it. <laughs> Joe, what do you think it is? Pints? You do, this is human <laughs> penis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say, I, honestly, let's, let's discuss it. I would say it's been a pint of blood. <laughs> is this, is, why you look baffled? Is that so much? This has got to be. <laughs> Have you held a pint glass? 
That's that's heavy. You just you're you're actually you just want everyone to think you've got a big dick. Don't you? <laughs> I, don't, I don't want everyone to think that. No, I don't want anyone to think that. Uh, okay, right, Joe. Listen, you got to stick around part two because we'll be back in a second. You gonna stick around? Okay, sure thing. <laughs> yeah, we'll see you in part two. <laughs> ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 